This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Shawley. We've got to fight for the right. Yes, so we now have the email invitation from the Prime Minister's Principal Private Secretary to the Prime Minister's entire staff to the party that didn't exist that the Prime Minister knew nothing about. After what has been an incredibly busy period, we thought it'd be nice to make the most of this lovely weather and have some socially distanced drinks in the number 10 garden this evening. Please join us from 6pm and bring your own booze. That's what the email said. This was less than an hour after the Cabinet Minister Oliver Dowden appeared in a Downing Street press conference to say... You can spend time outdoors and exercise as often as you like and you can meet one person outside your household in an outdoor public place provided that you stay two metres apart. And on the same day, the Met Police put out this jaunty video saying, have you been enjoying the hottest day of the year so far? With a little sun face emoji. It is important that we all continue to stay alert. You can relax, have a picnic, exercise or play sport as long as you are on your own with people you live with or just you and one other person. Well, yesterday, the Prime Minister was asked directly if he was at the party. Ask you about the latest allegations on Christmas parties. Did you and Carrie attend the Downing Street party that was organised by Martin Reynolds on the 20th of May? All, all that, as you know, is the subject of a, uh, a proper uh, investigation by Sue Gray. Hang on. He doesn't know if he was there. He's asked Sue Gray to find out if he was at the party. He doesn't, doesn't know where he was. Maybe it's on his old phone. That'll be it. So then he was asked... So have you already been interviewed by Sue Gray? And if not, do you object to her questioning you again about this? Uh, fair enough. Uh, has he, it's a good question, has he, the Prime Minister, been interviewed by the woman put in charge of establishing whether the law was broken during a series of lockdown-busting parties while the rest of the family was not meeting family, friends or dying loved ones despite the lovely weather? A serious question about a serious allegation. Uh, all that subject for an interview, for, for an investigation by Sue Gray. <laughs> he thinks it's funny. It's just funny, isn't it? Now, remember, when Allegra Stratton was turfed out the door for laughing about people having wine and cheese after work, remember what Boris Johnson said then. But I repeat, Mr Speaker, that I have been repeatedly assured since these allegations emerged that there was no party, 
and that, and that no COVID rules were broken. And that is what I have been repeatedly assured. So, just to be clear... There was no party. And then there was this. It goes without saying that if those rules were broken, then there will be disciplinary action for all those involved. So, if it turns out, as has been reported, the Prime Minister himself attended this pre-organised drinks in the lovely weather, what disciplinary action will he face? Look, I know that this is tedious. This is a tedious drip, drip, drip. You're sending in your messages saying, this is historic. Why are we still going on about it? But this matters, or at least it should. This isn't about one rule for them and one rule for the rest of us. This is about no rules for them. It was cheese and wine. It was a quiz. It was a work meeting. Look, I know we've got the email, but we haven't yet been told by Dominic Raab if people were wearing work suits. This was not a social gathering. It is palpably not a social gathering because you had uh, people in work suits. <laughs> that was his explanation for the last one, the one we got photos for. It all depends what you're wearing. Have you got your party trousers on? What? Can we not just go back to the days where the biggest political story was when did George Osborne last have a pasty and how many kitchens Zed Miliband got? Oh, whatever it was that David Cameron did to that pig, at least it wasn't on the day the rest of the country was being told to only interfere with one carcass at once while he rang a mock in an abattoir. The thing I don't understand about all this is you'd at least like to think that the country is being run by the brightest and best. So what absolute moron sends an email to a 100 people inviting them to a lockdown-breaking booze-up? And how have all of those 100 people kept quiet about it since? It's fine to say this was a story, but nobody told us about it before. It's not like we've been banging on about it for two years. And the really galling thing, the really galling thing, is that for some of them, probably the ones we've never heard of, for some of them, the party will be over. While those in charge, the ones paid the big bucks, the ones with all the power at the top, they're the ones who will continue to be the Beastie Boys. We've got to invite you the right lovely stuff i'm glad we've cleared that up right coming up on today's episode more on parties as we convene the times radio focus group yes every month we get james johnson former number 10 pollster to ask a panel of swing voters what they make of what's going on in politics how's the government doing what do they think about the cost of living crisis is keir starmer having any impact what do they think of rishi sunak and liz truss all that is coming up in our big thing on the podcast. But first, as ever, it's our columnist panel, and it's Tuesday, so it must be this. Meet the Cerberus of columnists, the Janus of journalism, and the ultimate political portmanteau of opinion. with Daniel Finkelstein and David Aronovich on Times Radio. Yes, it's everyone's favourite um, Cerberus. It is uh, Daniel Finkelstein. Morning, Danny. Good morning. And David Aronovich. Morning, David. Good morning, Matt. You know, earlier you said that we come <laughs> on and we pick over the news. I yes. don't think, Danny, that I've ever picked over the news, Matt. I mean, that kind of sounds like we're kind of scavengers who come to a kind of, you know, kind of big news rubbish site and then go through and think, oh, that's quite interesting. Matt, do you think there'll ever be a moment when you say, just say good morning today, but it just says good morning back? 
It seems unlikely. That's exactly what I was just thinking. The fact, instead, he, he finds it necessary to pick over everything I've already said before we get to... Before we oh, get to go. it's your it's it's your view, is it, that we should merely take whatever you throw at us before we kind of come on and say, "Oh, well, that's all right then." I mean, you can call us any, that. That's your view, is it, Chorley? <laughs> right. Well, I, I'm not going to invite you to pick over the news. Let me take the news, place it on a silver platter uh, under a cloche, and present it to you, uh, <laughs> David Ivanovich, in the cus- in the manner to which you're accustomed. Um, let me present to you the news story of uh, the parties in Downing Street. At where are you on the scale of uh, lock them all up to I couldn't give a monkey stop talking about it, which is, I'll be honest, the text machine is has covered the full gamut this morning. But where are you on this? Um, Pick <laughs> over it, if you please. <laughs> it, it, it's just a kind of matter of amazement, really. You know that the, 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 they were talking earlier about how, I think Laura Kuhn spoke, but maybe Times Radio people were saying this as well, that they'd, they'd seen emails from staff members who said, oh, are we really doing this? And this is a good idea. It sent us all back, didn't it, to our kind of photographs, our Amazon photograph uh, things for May 2020 to find out what we were doing because we're trying to remember. And sure enough, there's a picture of me very carefully visiting one or two people in their gardens for one-on-one meetings, you know, kind of discussions. I hadn't seen for quite a long time. There are two of them in there. Um, and these people were saying, is this a good idea? Does he does he really kind of mean it? Now, of course, we're now talking about events that are nearly two years old when the kind of early stages of the um, uh, of the pandemic. Um, what it does suggest is, firstly, that there has been a level of uh, routine dishonesty by the government and by the prime minister about what had happened here and so on since this whole event. But... Uh, Frankly, that is pretty much what we've come to expect. Um, the thing that I get from it all, really, certainly listening to some ministers talk about it, and it's just a kind of feeling that this government is exhausted, really, that it's kind of, you know, we've had enough of it, and it's rather beginning to look as if it's had enough of itself uh, in many ways. Of course, there'll be kind of keen-eyed trusses, trussites, as we discussed last week, who, who will say, <laughs> no, now's our opportunity, etc. We can revitalise uh, and so on. But you can't help thinking, this lot have been in power for 11 years, they began to develop a kind of masters of the universe attitude, the people around them to kind of governing. This is toxic for them now, and they don't really know what to do about it. And some of them are kind of half feeling, they, that kind of very early feeling that maybe it would be better if they went away for a bit and regrouped. You know that you and I have always disagreed about Freud, and that's all sort of a bit Freudian for me. Um, I, I, yesterday, I, um, I, I tweeted out, when seeing the um, email uh, how extraordinary and some people said to me it isn't extraordinary it's ordinary for this government that wasn't quite what I meant by uh, extraordinary I think it I think it's very important that we don't normalize this sort of behavior uh, it is totally unacceptable both that uh, the government set these very important rules for uh, disease control and then didn't keep the rules themselves. And secondly, that when challenged about it, they didn't tell the truth. The reason they didn't tell the truth, by the way, was because they realised they couldn't, uh, having had those parties, they couldn't tell the truth about having had them. Um, but we, we shouldn't say, oh, well, that's just what we've come to expect from Boris Johnson and this government. We haven't come to expect that from prime ministers. We must never come to expect that from prime ministers. So those people who say this is at the bottom of the 
uh, scale, um, rather than where I put it, which is right near or at the top of the scale, are simply um, failing to understand the importance of rules, law uh, and norm setting in government. We simply can't accept that. I think it's particularly important for me because, um, you know, there are some people who probably since just they desperately want this to be true of a Conservative government and of Boris Johnson, of the Prime Minister. Um, I absolutely do not want that to be true of them, but that doesn't uh, ignore the fact that it is true. And you can see that from the email train. And therefore, it's particularly important for me to say that's not a norm. It is extraordinary and it's completely unacceptable. And on the uh, the Finkelstein theory of the drip drip, uh, Danny, that, that none of this matters until it does. Where are we on the Finkelstein uh, scales? Is this a big, it's, it's, are we weak yes. tipping point now, do you think? Absolutely. Look, this is exactly the sort of thing I had in mind when when I when I said this um, originally. Um, and uh, one of the reasons is it breaks the fairness norm. Uh, so it, it, which is um, I put in, therefore I take out this sort of basic evolutionary norm to swap David's uh, deep psychology for my own uh, deep psychological nonsense. <laughs> um, the uh, and, and I think therefore it does matter um, to people. Um, you know, there are lots of things that stand between a prime minister and falling, um, probably correctly, um, and things that might bring down a junior minister. And this absolutely is one of those. 100%. It did bring down Matt Hancock. Um, they they are not, they don't necessarily bring down prime ministers, as we saw with wallpaper, because that probably would have brought down a junior minister as well. Um, but this is probably bigger than that. Uh, and... Um, there are lots of barriers to it, but it's not inconceivable. It's not uh, something that would be ridiculous to imagine it bringing down the prime minister, although um, there are lots and lots of barriers to that happening. Well, I suppose let's let's pick over what they might be, Danny, because, um, you know, norms and logic, as you say, would tell you that if the prime minister has lied about these things and he was there and he broke the law... In normal times, that would be very bad. If we actually sketch out what happens, a report comes out from Sue Gray, say, that, say it comes out and confirms that all that is the case. In order for him to go, he's one or two things have got to happen. Tory MPs have got to turn against him on it, but given that most of them hated the lockdown, and uh, if they weren't breaking it themselves, were probably quite relaxed about the idea that people were, it seems unlikely no. they're going to turn him for, on him for that. Or he's got contrary, to find some, those people some shame be... and resign, no. and he hasn't got that but... either. One of the biggest one of the biggest dangers for him is that those people who were against the lockdown are the most angry about people who imposed the lockdown and didn't keep it uh, because some of those people hated it but did keep it and they're yeah. really angry about it um some of them didn't keep it but felt that they were unfairly being picked on so that they will be cross um the the mechanism that is exactly the reason why i um why I have this point the mechanism's difficult. But um, the uh, um, but the fact is that, uh, that that while the mechanism may be difficult, um, politics isn't uh, isn't uh, uh, physics; it's chemistry, you know. Uh, <laughs> and we'll see what the chemical reaction is. David, uh, while we've been talking, we've had lots of messages. Uh, Becky says, "I think it matters." Sylvie says, "Please, can we have some perspective?" It's all I've heard all morning. Uh, there's a lot of other serious news to be discussed. Uh, Steve says, if Johnson doesn't know he was at the party or not, we can only assume one thing. It was one hell of a party. <laughs> um, I like the, you know, I've been enjoying the uh, Finkelstein drip 
uh, effect and so on uh, and the question of what it is that gives um uh, effect if you like to the kind of feeling that people have about it i mean uh, one of the things and i'm not a, i'm not completely okay with parliamentary procedure but there must there's probably a time fairly soon where labor will be tempted to introduce a motion of no confidence of some kind um, uh, in uh, I'm not quite sure whether you can actually table one which specific specifies the prime minister rather than the government uh, government itself the argument against that always is well the Tories will cement ranks and they'll come together but there comes a point where that's actually quite damaging for them and good for Labour that they cement ranks and come together in defense of the indefensible um, uh, uh, and so on and that will give the debate another twist now with regard to the idea that there are other more important stories there are always other more important stories that's true i mean you could make a case for leading on climate change in every single bulletin that you uh that you place and i was listening to reports out of afghanistan um this morning um and that unquestionably is a story which has a significant moment for a lot more people but this is a big twist on this story and i do think we've kind of got to give it uh proper regard and i think you know, it could lead to the Prime Minister leaving. I mean, if the Sue, if the Sue Gray report is bad. And I also get the impression, I may be completely wrong about this, that actually a part of him wouldn't mind going away <laughs> and doing something else and earning some money fairly soon. He, he got to where he wanted to be uh, and so on. He didn't really have any kind of notions about what he wanted to do with it, etc. He's not that kind of politician. So he might regard it as being something that's not, not much fun anymore. And, you know, there are the kind of nonsense books to be written and a lot of, you know, TV programmes to be presenter of. Right, let's move away from parties, or at least Boris Johnson's party. Let's talk about an even smaller, more intimate party. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn's new party. David, are you excited? Are you signing up? Well, I don't think he'll do it. I mean, uh, this was a story run The Telegraph, I, 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 but uh, it's it's an absolutely kind of glorious subject for somebody like me who was for quite a long time a member of a relatively small left-wing, far-left party and who come from, uh, comes from that kind of background. Um, every time what you might call the moderates or however the centrists take over Labour um, and uh, mount a their limited purge of the far left, somebody on the far left of the Labour Party gets into their minds that this is the moment to leave and gets the idea that they can set up an even apart. But because they have this delusion that what they say is incredibly popular and therefore if they can only kind of say it in an unbridled fashion, it will be very popular. Actually, they only get elected because they're in the Labour Party, which the results by and large will show, with, with the odd kind of exception. Um, so I'm fascinated by the varieties with which people have left the Labour Party, set up small independent left-wing parties, and serially failed. Um, <laughs> unless, of course, they're George Galloway, where the whole point is simply to get George Galloway publicity uh, and so on, in which case, in that limited sense, they can enjoy a kind of limited amount, a limited amount of success. But the story of that failure is really kind of quite interesting. Part of it, of course, is first past the post. First past the post means that the great parties tend to conglomerate. It seems unfair to Labour, that uh, to, to people on the left, that whereas Labour is usually weakened by going to the left, the Tories can sometimes win when they go, even when they're on the right. And Danny can discuss that uh, maybe a little bit. It seems kind of the wrong way round, etc. But that's partly the kind of country we are. Um, so 
many people in Labour are desperately hoping that he does leave the Labour Party. <laughs> Set out this little party. All those kind of people who came back into the Labour Party when he was elected leader, who had been in all these kind of little fringe parties before uh, and so on, would all kind of go away again. A lot of them already have, but not enough. It will go away again. Uh, and, and that will leave them kind of gloriously free of having these people in their constituency parties who've been absolute hell for them for the, cor- for the course of the last uh, half a decade. Danny, would it almost be helpful to Keir Starmer were um, a, a party to emerge on the left in the way that, um, you know, the Conservatives have in the past thought that actually you need somewhere, whether it's UKIP or whatever it is, out on the fringes for the for the more extremists uh, to go to. So then you look like a sensible centrist party. Mm. Would, it, would it help the Labour Party if Jeremy Corbyn... So the idea is he's got this thing called, what's it called, the Peace and Justice Project. Uh, which he set up, and he could f- turn that into the Peace and Justice Party. Is no, it wouldn't help either of them. I mean, look, the, the, Jeremy Corbyn, by not by not setting up this party, it's a big admission. They have got, for once, for one time only, a big figure, because uh, Jeremy Corbyn is a big figure, somebody who's actually nationally famous, who could be the leader of this party. And if they don't set up a left party on this occasion, uh, they are admitting that they actually need the other people in the Labour Party whom they kept on telling saying should go off and join the Tories they need both them and their voters and they can only get them inside the Labour Party and they can only be inside the Labour Party and win if they're in the mainstream and that is the reality of their existence and they'd be admitting it in not setting up the political party but if they did do it it would be quite it would have quite a serious effect on the Labour Party first of all I think uh, it would Oddly enough, it would pull the Labour Party to the left. Inside the party, these people are a nuisance. But outside the party, as we saw with the Tories, there was this constant um, uh, pulling of the Conservative Party by UKIP. Um, to, and and it and it um, and I think that um, these people would effect would make the same have the same effect on Labour uh, because if they did an agreement with the Greens, they could add up to you know seven eight nine percent, uh, quite a serious impact. David, and, you're shaking your head. No, yeah. I, 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 I'm very respectful of uh, of Daniel oh, on dear. lots of occasions, but I really don't agree with this. I don't think it would pull Labour to the left at all. I think it would let Labour make the journey to the centre that it really badly wants to make less in a less encumbered way. I don't think they're terribly worried. I, I don't think this party would end up with more than one with more than one percent of the vote. They'd be much more worried about the Greens, and the Greens are much more likely to be taken care of uh, in, in their terms by yeah. a very strong climate change policy. Yeah. So, okay, uh, listen, David. I think you're right in this. It should pull Labour to the centre, right? The right way of dealing with a fringe political party, unquestionably, is try and catch, is use your freedom to try and capture more of the centre, to therefore be a winning force and attract as many people as who are amenable back into your winning force by the idea that they might get a share in power by being part of it, right? That's sort of the obviously correct strategy. It's not necessarily the strategy that people take. They get panicked at the local level, and you could see that with the Conservative Party, by the idea that they might be undermined by a, uh, by a party to their left with whom they have a degree of sympathy right so some of the things they're saying they sort of think actually i wish we were saying these things i wish we were a bit more uh you know passionate i wish we were a bit more you know radical on climate change and if they as i say they would need to have an agreement with the greens i think but if they did do that 
they'd constitutive enough a new, of a nuisance for there to be constant internal pressure from people who were on the soft left to the Labour Party to move in that direction. It might be an incorrect piece of advice, yeah. but I think they'd get it. But, but, here, but here, here's another difference, Danny. The thing that the people to the right of the Conservative Party would choose as subjects tended to be things that had a degree of popularity with the electorate. The thing that left-wing parties like Corbyn's will tend to choose will be things that the electorate really doesn't care very much about. <laughs> um, and that and that is a really kind of significant difference. The Labour is not going to uh, want to kind of move towards this party in order to show the electorate that it's tough on Israel. Because um, there aren't any votes in that at all. <laughs> well, let's move on then. If you can't, it doesn't sound like Joe, uh, Jeremy Corbyn's going to be able to fill a taxi with his new party. Uh, what about filling a lift? Uh, much, much <laughs> excitement and titillation yesterday. Michael Gove got stuck in a lift at the BBC, which meant that him and every tedious person on Twitter made a joke about levelling up. Uh, and uh, actually, coming up, we'll hear the focus group. We asked the focus group which politician they'd least like to be stuck in a lift with. Uh, it was very funny. Michael Gove was one of them. Uh, have either of you, Daniel Finkelstein, David Wadovich, ever been stuck in a lift with a politician? I know I've been stuck in a lift with a politician. I've been stuck in a lift once, coming to the Times. 45 minutes, actually. It was a pretty scary uh, thing. But all these stories are all narratives, right? OK, so obviously the BBC's lift breaking down was an embarrassment for the BBC. But the story yes. plays as an embarrassment for Michael Gove, exactly. right? Whose lift it wasn't. All he did do was get into it, right? And I remember when I worked for, when I worked for John Major, uh, there was a journalist from uh, a, new, a left-wing newspaper who was shooting up heroin in the back of the prime minister's plane and we had a long conversation about whether if we told the police about this um the the, the story would be um simply the right thing to do or an embarrassment to the um to the, the 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 newspaper that sent it which is what it should have been and to this person or an embarrassment to john major because the story would run as hapless major in um in drug uh, plane <laughs> scandal um, and we we all knew basically that it would end up being that story but once we'd sort of discussed it with one or two politicians we realized we told the deputy prime minister so we no longer had an option even whatever that we had to tell the uh, police and we did uh, and indeed that is how the story ran hapless major um uh, in <laughs> in, in uh in scandal and that's exactly what happened to michael gove with the lift by the, way, BBC by the way and maintenance that was that was no journalist that was a novelist and it was will self and it's well it's well attested and you and you, <laughs> but by the way you don't have to put a bleep on this this has been this has been legal and everything matt so you, you know we can't bleep it in real you've said it now but i know i'm aware i'm I know, aware, I thought aware you had the 15 second delay on this in case no 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 no, 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 we're, we're, no we're flying live if we had the 15 second delay we just bleep everything you said um uh, but I suppose the whole point is it's like it's like Ed Miliband with the bacon sandwich. Exactly. If, if if Ed Miliband had been riding high in the polls, you know, storming the charts, hugely popular with the public, looking like Prime Minister, we wouldn't remember. I mean, because David Cameron ate a yeah. hot dog with a knife and fork. That's not <laughs> as well known as Ed Miliband eating a bacon sandwich, even though it is weird. That's, that's, that, that's true. But the, the great the, the, the great one of this, of course, is Neil Kinnock falling in the sea. Yes. Um, he's just been elected uh, <laughs> Labour leader and so on. Uh, it's not really his, it's not really his fault. The sea comes in a bit quick when he and uh, Glenys are walking down, etc. It's their kind of swan song as the new kind of Labour leader. Tide comes in a bit quick. He missteps. Over he goes by the sort of thing. And that thing has been played ever since uh, uh, and so on. Not his fault. 
hapless, uh, poor old hapless Kinnock, uh, etc. I think this is just not a fair world. That was Daniel Finkelstein and David Iwanovich. Of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash timesfedbox to get yourself a subscription. Up next is The Focus Group. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. Now, every month here on Times Radio, we convene a focus group of voters to assess how the government's getting on and try and find out what really matters to people outside the Westminster bubble. As ever, the focus group's run by James Johnson in association with the global communications firm KEXCNC. James used to carry out focus groups and polling for Downing Street when he worked for Theresa May. And he joins me now. Morning, James. Morning. Let's begin with our traditional legal hazard warning. Explain what a focus group is and isn't and how it's different to an opinion poll. Yeah, so uh, focus groups very much not intended to replace polls. Polls are designed to give a sort of representative view of what the country is thinking. Um, they're usually with a thousand, two thousand people or even more. Um, focus groups much smaller and um, we're looking at a small group of six to eight people. It's not there to be representative. We're not saying on this monthly show that we do, Matt, we're not saying this is the definitive view of the British public. But what it does allow you to do is it allows you to talk to voters in detail about the kinds of answers they're given in po- giving in polls, and it helps you realise sort of what's going on uh, behind behind the surface, um, uh, beneath the surface, and really, I suppose, also how likely they are to to change their minds in the future, based on how sort of confidently they're talking about what they're saying in that particular focus group. And who were we speaking to? So we did the focus group last night um, with some live news, which I will come to. But who were we speaking to? Where were they, and and uh, where are they politically? So speaking to swing voters, so it was a mix of people who voted Conservative and Labour in 2019 uh, and said uh, when we recruited them, they were undecided uh, on how they'd vote in an election if there were one uh, tomorrow. Um, There are a mix of ages um, and a mix of genders, but we recruited these people from Bristol, Derby, uh, Nottingham and Dudley. Um, So a range across England, but largely in those sort of slightly more marginal seats there. And a mixture of work, you know, in terms of incomes and, um, you know, background, one, I think one or two were semi-retired. So it's sort of a good broad mix of ages uh, as well. Right then. Well, here we go. Let's kick off. Um, at the, the first question, James, always asks them just to warm them up and get a sense of where they are. And if you normally shout at the radio during the focus groups, brace yourselves. Uh, James asked, how do you think the government's doing? I think they're doing a good job overall. Um, there's been some incidents where I think they've failed in in 
how they've broken the rules during COVID and now that's being reported? Um, I think they've got a difficult job on their hands um, with everything that's been going on. Um, and obviously, you know, new research brings in sort of different answers so that they seem to obviously be guessing a little bit, but obviously they don't know it's a new kind of place that we're at. So overall, I think they're doing okay, but obviously struggling at the same time. I think they are doing a good job. Uh, brilliant job of getting the booster jabs uh, out. I think the targets are doing quite well. Apart from all the bad publicity, they are doing a good job, but they it's, it's, they are getting bad publicity with obviously decorating costs and parties and things like that. Yeah, I think they're doing okay. A little bit mixed. I think they, they did well to get Brexit done, like Boris promised, which was a good thing, in my view. Um, so we just needed that out of the way. And COVID really just took over, really, and um, has dominated everything. And I think any government that's been in power to, to deal with COVID. I personally feel like um, the trust is quite low with the kind of breaches in um, them saying one thing and then doing another with these like parties and whatever. Yeah, I agree with the previous two points there. I think they have done a really good job with COVID. Um, I, I, I am sceptical as well about the finances because I think they've spent an absolute fortune. So there we are. That was the uh, that was the picture. I mean, James, we can't often get quite a reaction, particularly on social media, to uh, this uh, these focus groups because the benefit of the doubt is back. I mean, clearly, and we'll talk more about parties in a moment, parties, wallpaper, that's getting cut through. But on the substance of how the government's doing, Boris Johnson's still getting uh, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, and I'll repeat that warning that we made at the start, Matt, that in terms of the polls, we know from the polling that actually people generally think the government is not doing very well at the moment. Now, obviously, uh, the swing voters are more likely to be a bit more pro the government because they're more likely to have voted conservative in the past than than people uh, in the general population. Um, so I don't think we necessarily say that this tells us that you know we, the public think the government are doing a great job, but I think it does show us that there hasn't been a sort of point of no return collapse in trust and belief and and uh, you know views of Boris Johnson and the Conservative Party. Um, they are still talking in the same way um, that they did. Um, exactly this time last year, I actually looked back at our focus group uh, uh, that we did exactly a year ago uh, this month in the start of 2021 and very similar words being used. It's a pandemic, unprecedented situation, uh, you know, they're doing a good job in the circumstances. So although we've seen a lot of bad polls, although we've seen a lot of bad uh, uh, sort of noise um, in the last couple of months, which these voters had noticed, you saw in that clip, they were listing them a fair bit. We haven't seen a fundamental reappraisal from this group, at least, um, in terms of how they're viewing the government as a whole. And one of the things that struck me is at the very beginning, you asked them, you know, their name, where they're from and any news stories they've noticed. Covid, I think, barely came up. Maybe one person mentioned Covid. It was a lot of other things. It was Novak Djokovic and Ghislaine Maxwell and other things. But then the, where we and just at the end of that clip, we heard it. We, we'll hear a bit more now unprompted concerns about the economy started bubbling up. Uh, let's take a listen. Um, I'm mostly worried about how they're going to pay the money back. So obviously what people have mentioned there, obviously a lot of money has been spent. I think a lot of people have been lining the pockets. But then how is that all going to get paid back? So you've got um, interest rates going up, car taxes going up. So it's just, you know, wanting to know how much things are going to cost in the future, so. Um, 
I would agree with the last uh, gentleman what was on. Uh, it's about paying it all back. Well, coming from a banking background and finance, I guess um, I would tend to say the finances of the country, how the hell they're going to pay back four hundred billion pounds of, of deficit or whatever it is. And I think I'd probably just go back to the um, the confidence thing. I don't I don't feel like confidence is particularly high. That they they see the government seems to be quite bumbling. So there we are. Um, this this concern and it's, it's always sometimes the public is sort of a bit ahead of. Uh, Westminster bubble thinking, James, that they've already turned their attention to. We've been through the pandemic, benefit of the doubt, tough thing to get through and all of that. But now they're starting to worry about the finances and paying the money back. They know it's, you know, Ricky Sunat will talk about very popular, spent a lot of money, but they're conscious that, that needs to be paid back. And those economic concerns are starting to bubble in a way that doesn't really get talked about um, hugely in Westminster. Yeah, it's all feeling a bit sort of 2010, 2015 um, in terms of people talking about the deficit, people talking about the debt, something I've heard in a number of other focus groups as well, um, including last year. Um, yeah, a lot of those people are acutely aware that a lot of money was spent during COVID. Um, and I imagine uh, some people might be uh, slightly frustrated by hearing that. Um, but there is a sort of an appetite to see that being addressed um, and I think that gives the government you know a fair bit of cover actually I think that in terms of tax rises in terms of difficult decisions they might need to make there is a public out here sort of willing to to hear that and uh, to respond to it so I think some of these takes on sort of cost of living impact of tax rises over the next 12 months yes clearly they are going to be worrying for the government but they are happening in a context where voters know that there's a big old pandemic that's caused the, that that's in their minds caused the need for some of that. So it's there is a path for the government to tread here when it comes to these tough decisions and it comes to uh, the debt. Uh, but it does require them to be making the argument. And interestingly, you know, I probably hear more in these focus groups uh, about the debt and about the public finances um, than we do from conservative politicians. Or, or indeed, Labour politicians is just not part of the political conversation um right now and it, you're right that actually the, the, on the national insurance front, they were quite willing to to understand you know the nhs has taken a hit therefore it needs to be paid for therefore it needs to be put up as long as it's fair that's you know there's a case to be made for that there's also also been and the papers have been full of it uh in the last week or so concern about the cost of living partly because of the tax rises but also uh the rise in uh energy bills um and so on let's take a listen to what the the times radio focus group had to say about concerns about the rising cost of living I think people having second homes, um, and, and seeing as we're on the subject of politics, I, I think quite a lot of politicians have second homes, or, or so the media tells us. Um, and so I think that pushes the prices up. Um, I think we've seen the impact of Brexit and COVID sort of took over all of that, that Brexit happened and, and it got sidelined. Uh, yeah, I think just, I, I mentioned it before, you know, with the interest rates rising, the car tax and, and things like that. It just be, you just want to know what, what the, and the energy crisis that was just alluded to then, you just want to know what the, these figures are, you know, how much are we going to be likely to pay? I think, I think, well, it's a global pandemic. I do think a lot of firms have struggled. I think money has perhaps could have been better spent in different areas. I think a lot of our high streets are struggling. Yep, uh, <coughs> the petrol and diesel. I think that's a lot to blame. 
There's a lot of things causing the cost of living crisis. I think um, somebody mentioned it's a global issue. I think um, you've got to look at transport costs, shipping costs, get some across the across the world from China, where we get a lot of imports from. Cost of uh, cost of freight coming across from China has gone up about 10, 10 or twenty fold. I think over the last eighteen months. They are, James. Lots of concern about, you know, house prices, bills, um, petrol, fuel, you know, all of that. Um, again, quite a sophisticated understanding of the causes. Where, who do they blame for this uh, when you ask the group? So there's, there's some blame uh, on on government um, and there are there's certainly cut through of things like money wasted during the pandemic, contracts that they feel may have uh, somehow sort of had an impact on this. Brexit gets a mention. Um, but I think if politicians think that, particularly Labour politicians, think that they will be able to entirely pin the cost of living on the Conservatives, um, I think they may be disappointed because there is, as you say, that quite sort of there's a wider understanding. People blame big business. Uh, they blame global uh, phenomenon. They blame uh, COVID. And they also blame very specific things, you know, like you heard a lady there talking about second homes. Um, so it's certainly a more complicated picture than just the government caused a rising cost of living. Now, obviously, big caveat, we are in January here. Um, a lot of these cost of living rises, certainly in regards to, to tax, uh, will be coming in later in the year in the spring. So uh, some caution needed. But yeah, certainly there are routes for the government, as I said earlier, uh, to, sort of to navigate this cost of living crisis. Um, and indeed, there are still big levels of mistrust uh, about labour on the economy uh, that, that also uh, put, put, puts the spotlight onto them. The problem is, is that you need to make the argument. And I think the biggest risk for the government at the moment is they're not really out there making that argument. And therefore, the labour attack lines could just cut through anyway, even though, as we've just heard, voters aren't really in that place. Uh, there was quite a long discussion. We, we didn't want to subject uh, listeners to it. There's quite a long uh, discussion, which all felt a bit 2012. It was all a bit bankers, the bonuses, the bankers, the bonuses and the financial crash and the Labour Party. And that what happened pre-2010, financial crash 2007-2008, still does seem to to linger in terms of uh, Labour's reputation on the uh, on the economy. Let's turn our attention then to Downing Street parties, the question of who was where, what they did and what the public make of it. In fact, in the last uh, couple of minutes, we've just heard uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg has been saying he wouldn't expect junior Downing Street staff to be named in Sue Gray's investigation into what went on in these Whitehall parties. If they're very junior people, he said, maybe someone on work experience having to be there for a week, they shouldn't be named publicly. He then adds, speaking to the uh, Mogcast podcast, he said, if on the other hand, the Pope had popped in briefly, somebody of that seniority... Uh, you would expect that His Holiness would be named. I mean, that would be quite the twist in the story if it turns out the Pope was at one of these parties. Anyway, James, um, while we were discussing uh, the uh, issue of Downing Street parties and Christmas parties and so on, initially, a lot of the group were quite sort of bored by it. They accepted they, the sort of assumption it went on. They don't know why it's still going on. You know, that's just what goes on. It's one rule for them. And that's just, you know, that's just what goes on. But then during during the conversation, this story dropped, the leaked email the Martin Roberts email, uh, detailing 100 people invited to this party because the weather was nice, bring your own booze and all of that. Uh, so let's uh, hear the group's reaction uh, just as that story broke. It's just annoying. <laughs> it's, um, I'm not quite sure. Again, it seems very 
trivial at the moment. There are 100 people invited to a garden party, but if that's all the facts that they've got, they could have been spaced out with social distancing and um, who knows, really, this, the proper circumstances of this. I, I just find it annoying when these, these stories keep getting repeated and repeated and repeated, and yet there are a lot of people facing poverty now because of the rising cost of living there's more and more food banks being used we've got a real immigration problem and and the tweet is about a garden party that happened last summer i think it's it's very sad that we're reporting on something that happened in 2020 why why has someone not been transparent or if someone wanted to whistleblow, why didn't they do that far sooner? Um, I was just going to say, I think I'd be really annoyed if I was somebody that had been, um, you know, you, there were stories of people getting fines for um, sort of breaking these rules, or, um, you know, even now, you know, people people getting um, fined for not wearing masks when they're supposed to, or, you know, just little infringements there that people are really being um, sort of hammered I don't know if that's the right word. Um, you know, they're they're sort of being fined for, and you just think, ah, okay, fine. So so we're we're just the ones that have to take the brunt of that, but yet they can kind of operate as they see fit in their own sect. <laughs> if it was six to a garden, whether it's a big garden or not, and there was a hundred people in that part of, in that garden, well, obviously they should have been fined. Each of them should have been fined for that. And whoever um, organised the party, it's the same as pubs. If they was opening unofficially, they would get fined. I think it was... Was it about... Th- was it... 10,000. It was thousands, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, it was a lot of money, I remember that. So whoever organised that should get fined thousands and thousands, and each one what attended that, they should get fined, same as anybody else would have done at that time. Um, James, you've also asked him, which doesn't really work on radio, hands up if you think if it turned out Boris Johnson was at the party, should he resign? And I think a couple of them hesitantly put their hand up, but they did say that he should he should be fined. If he was at the party, he should be fined. Yeah, so big health warning on this uh, one, Matt, is obviously that this was we were literally reading the tweet as it developed. So as this story develops, we could even see opinions change over time. So, you know, let's yeah. see how it how it develops as it comes out. But Based on what we saw, yeah, real frustration um, about sort of hearing the story uh, and uh, certainly generated anger. And I think we can see why from the focus group um, that we saw those voting intention figures change in the polls last month when it all first came out, that we saw such sort of um, you know, public concern about, about the Christmas parties because there was real anger. The, the thing is, though, is that we also found out at the same time from this focus group the uh, the long term impact of this on views of the Conservatives and even on Boris might be limited, at least where the public's concerned. And it, it, we we noticed that because it, the first thing they didn't bring parties up when we first started the focus group, and even by near even about ten minutes after we had the discussion we just talked about, people then sort of felt felt very differently. So it's uh, and the, the well, yeah. In fact, that, let's take a sorry. listen to that, James, because because yeah. no, I was going to say off the back of this, we then asked them to sum up. Uh, Boris Johnson in a word or phrase and given what we've just been hearing terrible one rule for them uh, he should be locked up he should be fined he should be sacked whatever it might be this is what they then had to say when pressed only what like you said 10 minutes later what do you think about Boris Johnson 
I think he's doing okay in the circumstances. Yeah, I am quite impressed, all in all. Yes, I think he's done a good job, um, given given what we've got. He's doing a good job. Just needs to keep it up and just maintain um, sort of better levels within his uh, staff. He's got a tough task ahead, but I think um, there's very little opposition at the moment that I would see as an alternative. Um, I, I think he's a bit bumbling and clumsy. I, I agree. He does seem a bit comedic. Uh, he ought to present himself a little better. As I say, he's a bit of a, a comedian, but, I mean, if he tied himself up and as a representative of the country, rather than, I mean, just his air, I know this cut his air recently, but just, sit, just, just to stand up for the country and not be such a joker. Um, now, James, uh, while, we, while we were talking there, people sending in messages saying this group, they must be, well, in fact, some of them are unbroadcastable. What are these people talking <laughs> about it? They must be out of their minds. Um, I mean, they're not. So they're just a group of people who have different views to you, which is, uh, that's how uh, life works. Um, uh, but, but James, the thing I wanted to ask you about was that last point, smartening himself up. Because I suddenly, you know, it suddenly occurred to me, actually, when Boris Johnson was running to be London mayor twice, and I think during the 2019 election, he did. He got himself a haircut, did smarten himself up. So even they seem to be aware of, you know, Boris, Team Boris are aware that that sort of, why can't he get himself dressed properly? Why can't he brush his hair? Does seem to have an impact on public opinion. Yeah, views of Boris Johnson's hair are quite an interesting predictor of, of sort of where his popularity is. Because when he's quite popular, like he was uh, uh, in 2021, you know, after winning the Hartlepool by-election, people sort of sport, speak about it as being quite endearing and always all over the place. And we quite like that. Lovable rogue is one of the quotes that we had a lot in our focus groups last year. You might remember that. Um, but when uh, he's a bit more unpopular, people start to turn against it and say, well, this shows he's a bit untidy. This shows he doesn't really have it together. And that might seem like a silly point, but it's a serious one because that is how voters are making their judgment and using as a sort of proxy of his wider character. Uh, so, yeah, um, it is certainly uh, an interesting one there. And you're absolutely right. You know, London mayoral election and when he was getting ready to run for the leadership of the Conservatives, a very different looking Boris Johnson. So let's take a look at the other guy then. It's been a bit of a roller coaster for Keir Starmer on the focus groups. Um, towards the end of the year, things were slightly improved. I mean, when we first started doing these 18 months ago, um, I don't know who he is. Uh, was the overwhelming vibe. Uh, let's see what this focus group, uh, again, a group of swing voters, some former Labour, some former Conservative, uh, but a group of swing voters uh, on the Times Radio focus group. Let's hear what they had to say about the Labour leader, Keir Starmer. Um, yeah, he seems, seems like a good leader. Posh boy um, with school playground behaviour. I think he seems, comes across as a very decent, kind human being. I just think he's got zero charisma and... It's just sometimes very boring to listen to. He seems well presentable, but I'll be I'll be honest, I can't say a lot really about... I don't really know too much about him, apart from he's been off with COVID twice, but that's that's, that's all I really have I've heard about him. He comes across as an old-school, sort of boring politician, really. More, probably comes across as more professional and presentable than Boris, but I'm not really sure what he actually stands for. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really have any, unfortunately, I don't have any strong views in either way, really. I, I don't know a lot about him. Um, yeah, sorry. 
There's one at the air then, uh, James. I mean, slightly improved for Keir Starmer, but I suppose this is another reminder that Boris Johnson going down in the public's estimation a bit doesn't automatically mean that Keir Starmer surges. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But like you say, slightly better than than before. Um, but uh, and for one or two respondents, it was enough. And you know, some people said, you know, uh, don't really know much about Keir Starmer, but it's time for a change. But for most people in this group, Labour is still not a viable alternative. And that's really important because that also may be informing why they're still sort of you know, still largely supportive of Boris. They don't feel that there's someone they can easily leave Boris for. Choosing politicians is not sort of, you know, something these voters like to easily do. You know, they know that they're going to be ultimately picking a, a new prime minister. Um, and it comes down again to, yes, Keir Starmer seems to have uh, made, made progress on professionalism. Yes, he seems to have made progress on competence. But there are still concerns about whether he's got the charisma, whether he's got the team. And then there are still big concerns about Labour's record on the economy, too. So I imagine that a lot of those frustrated tweets that we're seeing coming in, people, uh, you know, perhaps annoyed that people aren't more angry with the government, also rests on them needing to feel like there's that viable alternative uh, from Labour. And, and they're getting there, but they're not there yet. Um, James, we should also touch on, because we've got a limited amount of clips we could use, the two, the two things that cut on the Labour side I thought were interesting. Somebody made a joke about uh, Keir Starmer would quite li- like to get rid of Angela Rayner, which I thought was interesting. Like, that idea of there being tension there has clearly got cut through. And uh, one person said that Lisa and Nandy was so miserable it made them depressed every time she appeared on TV. But at least these are, ne- you know, the- Yvette Cooper returning had also been spotted. So there's sort of, you know, good or bad, there's some awareness of uh, of what's going on in the Labour Party. Um, James, just to round off this half an hour then, when when pressed, who would you rather have leading the country, Boris Johnson or Keir Starmer? This is what they had to say. Uh, Boris. 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 Oh, dear. Why Keir, Anne? Just because you went last topic on you. I why, don't why know Keir? anything about him, but I just feel like um, we need a change. And I've, I, if I met Boris tomorrow, I would shake his hands and say, well done. But I just don't feel like he's the best leader we can have in this country. I just think we need a change. So there we are, Jim. I suppose that's the that we just need a change is the is the mood that all oppositions try to foster. What impact do you think the part the Downing Street Party's row will have on creating that mood? Yeah, I think there will be, I think what we saw in the group is that there are, it, it can create a flash of frustration. You know, people genuinely angry about it. People, when we read out that that tweet about the latest developments saying that Boris, a few of them saying that Boris should resign. Um, but the long-term impact of this, I think we need to be careful about because there are a couple of reasons for that. The first is, is that they're talking about it as a, in terms of fatigue, they're saying it happened a long time ago. We've heard a bit too much about it now. They're quite critical of the media. They feel that the media are perhaps overplaying it rather than focusing on important things like the cost of living. And even though we've all, you know, people were shown that screenshot of email, they still worry about the sources of where this stuff's coming from. I think somebody (laughs) said, is it just nastiness from Dominic Cummings? So I think the party's effect is a bit like a flash of lightning. When it's lighting up that sky, they are really frustrated by it and they're really angry. And that's why we saw that impact in the polls. But it fades quite quickly. And I think unless we see a real game changer in terms of politicians moving against Boris Johnson and how this falls out and how Boris Johnson uh, responds to the latest uh, situation, then I think we're going to see, yes, the short term impact of this really light up in the polls. But then the Conservatives start to recover as it fades from the agenda. 
James, we looked at Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer before. We've had lots of messages uh, coming in. Oh, come on, please don't pretend these weren't hand-picked. The roundup of who they love most, Boris, 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 with one token Keir supporter. I mean, I should point out this person has spelt Keir wrong. Uh, however, um, just remind us again um, who, the, who this panel are, where they're from and how they're recruited. And to make completely clear, James and I don't know who's going to be on the group until they arrive on the Zoom call. Yeah, absolutely. So they're um, recruited by an independent market research company um, and they're recruited on uh, the sort of criteria of being a mix of people that voted Conservative and Labour in 2019. I've just looked at the numbers. Four of them voted Conservative in 2019, three of them voted Labour, um, who say they're undecided uh, when we recruit them. And as I say, we get them from a range of those locations. So, yeah, we it's not sort of the same practice. It's not the same way you would get people for a, a box pops or, or interview or, or radio call-ins or anything like that it's a it's an independent market research uh, activity as i say not designed to be representative um but yeah these are people who we are trying to get to be as close to swing voters as possible and i don't want to upset or shock anyone listening but it is possible that there are some people who have different views to you and that's all we're doing is just exposing you sometimes to uh, views that might be slightly different to, to your own, which is probably a healthy thing to do. Right. Uh, so we, we talked about Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer before. Uh, let's turn our attention now to often the star of the focus group, that has to be said, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Let's hear what they had to say about the Chancellor. Um, he, I find him quite, he's got a lot of energy. He's, he has a, he's young. Um, and I think certainly at the beginning of the pandemic, I was really impressed by him. I think he comes across as an intelligent man. Um, I just hope he doesn't cripple us with his um, how he's going to sort of figure out how we're going to pay things back. Cool, calm and professional. Yeah, I think he's rock solid, uh, well presentable. And what he's done with the furlough, how many businesses would have got, gone actually out of business without this furlough? No, I've, I've been impressed with him. Intelligent, comes across very intelligent. And it's like any chancellor, I think, will be, always be popular while they're dishing out money to the public and helping. Yeah, I think he's a bit untrustworthy. I think he he's um, funding, uh, he's got interests in other things. So there we are, James. A bit of a mix. But um, uh, by and large, positive for Rishi Sunak. But again, just a little bit of grit creeping in, concern about how we're going to pay the bills that he's racked up. Yeah, I think they're certainly looking for that sort of action on on the debt and uh, and so on. But I mean, this there is no denying that for a politician, especially in a world of quite bad ratings for the government overall, uh, this is still really positive. A lot stems back to that first decision on furlough. But as we've always said when we've talked about Rishi Sunak in these groups, it's not just that he gave the money out, it's also that they feel that he's charismatic, intelligent, has energy, all of those things you heard there. Rock solid, I thought, was the best, uh, the most sort of the thing that summed it up the most. Uh, and say so clearly, uh, yeah, no sign yet um, that things like the cost of living or tax rises are, are denting his reputation. Okay, so Rishi Sunak still seen as the um, when we saw that uh, Conservative Party uh, members polling at the weekend um, that uh, showed that Rishi Sunak was way out in front when it comes to who might replace uh, Boris Johnson. Um, but uh, in second place in that polling was uh, Liz Truss, and I don't think we've ever asked a group before. So let's take a listen to what the uh, focus group had to say about the other supposed front runner to replace Boris Johnson, the Foreign Secretary, Liz Truss. Um, 
no, not really got an opinion on her, to be honest. Um, again, I, I don't know very much about her. I know she's been prominent um, and it's good to have a, a, a female politician with a voice. I think she comes across very well, actually. Uh, I think she, she's the new foreign secretary, I think. Yeah, I like her. <laughs> Somebody I do trust. I mean, James, the thing that amazes me is Liz Truss is the longest continuously serving cabinet minister. That's not the thing that amazes me. Um, but, I mean, it's a bit of a smile. Uh, she's the longest continuously serving cabinet minister in the cabinet. She's been in the cabinet without a break since 2014. And yet, actually, her profile with the public is 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 not that high. No, it's not. And uh, it's, it's yeah, certainly, uh, I just saw on one of our angry tweets we're getting, Matt, somebody accusing these focus group uh, members of being Conservative Party members. Well, if they are, they're not very much like Conservative Party members in that most of them don't know who Liz, Liz Truss is. Uh, <laughs> so I think we can discount that one. Uh, yeah, and, and it ties up with the polling generally as well. Um, Liz Truss gets a high number of people saying they don't really know who she is or they have a neutral view. And actually, she gets a fair number of people saying they have a, a, a negative view. Um, so, yeah, certainly work to do in terms of raising her profile with the voters who will ultimately win an election. I think that's another thing worth bearing in mind. If there is a leadership election uh, anytime soon, then in the same way that the question in 2019 was who's best to manage Brexit, the question is going to be who's going to win a general election. So I think certainly if this trust's team is listening to that focus group, they'll be thinking we need to you know, really sort of uh, make sure the voters warm up to her before that happens. And actually, I mean, I remember speaking to lots of Tory MPs in 2019 who said that they thought that privately Jeremy Hunt would be a more competent sort of administrator, but he's not going to win an election. They knew an election was needed to try and break the, the, the Brexit deadlock. And Boris Johnson had a, had a track record on winning there. Uh, right, let's move on then from, uh, from Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. Um, yesterday, Michael Gove got stuck in a lift at the BBC. We talked about this with David Rodovich and uh, Danny Finkelstein earlier on and how, you know, somehow this becomes embarrassing for Michael Gove. So I love this. You asked the panel, which politician would you least like to get stuck in a lift with? Uh, Tony Blair, I would have thought. Uh, it'd just annoy me. There's... Um... If he, if he was going to talk, that is. But yeah, I'm sure I wish I'm sure he would. Cove, actually, the one who's got stuck in the lift today. Um, <laughs> I just find him an annoying little man who's, who seems to have made a hash of any department that he's been in. I'm going to say Margaret Thatcher. I don't know why, but I'm just thinking Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, I'm definitely Margaret Thatcher. I'm petrified of her. <laughs> Probably Gavin Williamson. Because no, he's, he's a right drip. I might have changed my answer to uh, Theresa May, actually. I just remembered her. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is proper sort of insight into the public psyche. Still haunted by Margaret Thatcher. Gavin Williamson actually getting the sort of cut through that Liz Truss could only dream of. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? I mean, uh, annoying little man as well, Michael Gove. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's, uh, I'll tell you what, listening to that, Matt, I mean, who would be a politician? I mean, you know, you try, you know, you try, you try all, you know, try all of your life, you know, you, you go, you go for all these elections, you get to the cabinet, and then, you know, six months later, you know, someone on our, on our little focus group is 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 saying they don't want to be stuck in a lift with for you. It's, it's not much of a, you can't win very much in, this, in that career, can you? <laughs> Well, let's let's try and focus on the on a, on a positive. Let's finish on a positive then, James. Uh, you also asked. Uh, this is a good sort of you know. It's the old politician you'd like to have a drink with. Who's most? Who do you most have most in common with? 
the opposite question. Which politician would you most like to get stuck in a lift with? Richie Sunak. Yeah, Richie Sunak. Well, I agree. He, because he's got such a vibrant personality. I think Boris. He'd be a lot of laughs. He'd <laughs> make the time go quicker. Boris. Do what I most like. I wouldn't want to be stuck in a lift with any politician, to be honest. But <laughs> if, if I had to choose, it'd probably be, probably be Boris, actually, for a bit of a laugh. He'd probably have a few few drinks left over from his party, I suspect. Uh, the party's uh, making an appearance there at the end. Um, James, it's just an... In- I mean, interesting that Rishi Sunak comes up. I mean, I think we will gloss over Donald Trump. But interesting, again, that Boris Johnson, for lots of voters, still has that residual connection as a personality that people still, despite everything, still quite like. Yeah, and it's. I think it's pretty clear it's a, it's a battered uh, brand, but certainly from this focus group, and it is only one focus group, you know, many more other things to look at and look into over the coming weeks and months, but it feels like it's one that is, is not sort of at the point of no return. Um, it is able to recover. Um, and I think, you know, what we can say is that this Christmas party stuff as it develops, uh, you know, really, I, I think we can say that the public themselves don't seem to be the ones who are perhaps going to, you know, be be the sort of uh, end of Boris Johnson on this. It's going to rest on how politicians, MPs and, 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 and sort of the press and so on respond. And indeed, the people investigating the parties in Downing Street, um, the public. Uh, yeah, they've still got that link to Boris Johnson uh, for now. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.